Shall we pray? Our Father, thank you that you invite us to be included in your family. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way through your living word. Help us to listen and hear as for the very first time. Matthew 12, verse 46, through to the end, uh, to verse 23 of chapter 13. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Verse chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling among the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Morning, everyone, and thank you, Julian, for reading that so well for us. We're back in Matthew's Gospel um, after a long break. I think we're picking up at the end of... Uh, from June last year, we left off, and we're now picking up at the end of chapter 12. The context is that Jesus is announcing the coming of the kingdom of God. And he's saying, I'm the king of the kingdom. And so in chapters 5 to 7, you have this sort of manifesto of the kingdom, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapters 8 to 11, you have the manifestations of the kingdom. Jesus healing people, driving out demons, speaking with the authority of a king. And people recognize his power and they flock to him, don't they? He's inundated by the crowds and they, there they are again in, in verse 2. He is a man who gives them tremendous hope. He can fix their problems. He can change their futures. But at the same time, we read that there's growing opposition. So that at the end of chapter 12, his family come to take him away. They've heard that he claims to be God's king and they think he's sort of ill or mad and they've come to take him home. And the authorities there in chapter 12 have come to the conclusion that Jesus is in league with the devil and they begin to plot to get rid of him. And even his best friend John the Baptist is beginning to have second thoughts. He's in prison suffering and he's thinking, where is this glorious kingdom? And so in chapter 11, John sends his disciples to Jesus, a message from prison, and he asks, are you the one who is to come? Are you really the king we've been waiting for, or should we look for someone else? And now here in chapter 13, Jesus begins speaking in parables. Surely now is not the time to be speaking in parables. Surely now is the time to speak very, very clearly and to spell out exactly what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he's bringing. And you can sense the frustration of the disciples somewhat. They ask him in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now is surely a time to speak clearly. So, so why does Jesus speak in parables? Doesn't he want people to understand? Doesn't he want people to know who he is? Well, the answer to that is sort of yes and no. If the religious leaders really knew the truth, that would have been the end of it. They would have got rid of him straight away. Part of the reason Jesus speaks in parables is to conceal the truth from those who don't want to receive it. That's both a judgment on them and a kindness to them. Because by concealing the truth from them, he's giving them space to repent, isn't he? Because the more they know and the more they reject him, the more judgment they bring down on themselves. And so he conceals the truth from them. At the same time, Jesus speaks in parables to reveal the truth to those who do want to hear it. And what he's doing is planting the truth in vivid, unforgettable ways in people's minds for later on. See, it requires interpretation, doesn't it? It requires the Holy Spirit. It requires people to want to know what it means. Let me illustrate it this way. 
Think about the 39 books of the Old Testament. They're not always that easy to understand, are they? They seem full of difficult and so dark sort of stories. And that's how many people see the Old Testament, don't they? But read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament and the message of Jesus and his resurrection. And although nothing has changed, nothing's been added or removed, the light of Christ shines on it and illuminates everything. And it begins to make sense. Well, it's a bit the same with with the parables. We can read them today and we do so in the light of the cross and the resurrection and the day of Pentecost and the incredible growth of the church across the world and we can see exactly what Jesus is getting at, can't we? Back then, people must have been puzzled by these parables. But now, after 2,000 years of gospel growth, we begin to see that they're telling, what they're telling us about the kingdom. See what Jesus is doing? He's planting the truth for later on. And later on, it all begins to make sense. That's what these parables are. They're his explanation of the kingdom, how the kingdom comes and how it makes progress in the world. And that's the question Jesus is answering in this first parable of the sower. How does the kingdom come? See, the thing is this, if the kingdom of heaven is really here, If Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven, why is the response so varied? Why is Jesus' ministry so opposed? If the kingdom is here, why is it spreading so slowly? Why is its impact so limited? If the kingdom of God is here, why is it such hard work? Why do we continue to suffer? And Jesus tells us in this parable, he tells us that the kingdom comes in such a radical way The world doesn't understand it. So let's take a look at the text. Firstly, he tells us that the kingdom comes by the word. The kingdom comes by the word. It comes through the proclamation of the word of God. Jesus starts there in verse 3. Simple sentence, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, it's a common sight in subsistence societies. Today in Africa and India and China, you'll see people sowing their seed. We're not sort of used to seeing that in our in, in our culture, modern farmers have these large properties and massive mach- tractors for sowing and so on. Back in Jesus' day, it was an everyday scene. People are familiar. A farmer goes out to sow his seed. And Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of God. It's the message of the kingdom. It's the gospel. God's kingdom comes by the word of God. And this is so different, isn't it? It is actually so radical. How do the kingdoms of the world come? Well, they come through coercion. They come through force. They they come force. They come through political manoeuvring and dealing. And that's what we see all over the world today. Kingdoms come and go by force with bombs and guns and political manoeuvring. But the kingdom of God is radically different. It comes through the proclamation of the word. That's why the Crusades were such a misguided enterprise. That's not Christianity, that's worldly. The kingdom of God comes by the word of God. That's why we need to be preaching the word of God. And that's what we do as Christians. We spread the word. It's like sowing seed. We spread it far and wide. And the world might think that the word is weak and that bullets and politics are actually much more powerful and stronger. But God's word is powerful. It's how the world came into being that we live in. The world was formed by the word of God. God spoke and it came into being. Now, you and I, we can do lots of things with our words. We, we, we could say, well, 
let's build a vegetable garden. And we'd be good for our word, wouldn't we? A builder could say, let's build a house, and he'd be good for, for that. Although I don't know about that, that these days. <laughs> um, but we could say, we couldn't say, let's build a freeway. Our word is not able to do that. Our word doesn't carry that weight. It needs the word of a premier or a prime minister to do that, doesn't it? And the point is, the word of a king is powerful. That's how the world came, the word of the king is powerful. That's how the world came into being. God thought it up and he spoke it and it came into existence. That's how powerful God's word is. And that's how the kingdom of God also came to Corinth. Corinth was a fairly seedy sort of place and Paul uh, of course, planted the church there by preaching the word and so on. And he writes to the Corinthians and he reminds them, doesn't he, what actually happened there. He reminds them how the kingdom of God came to Corinth. How did it come? 2 Corinthians 4 tells us. It says, For God who said, light, Let light shine out of darkness, and he's talking about the creation here. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See what that's saying? The same powerful word of God that created the world came to us when the gospel came to us and turned the lights on in our hearts. How does the kingdom come? It comes by the widespread broadcasting of the word. The sower scatters the seed. And that means that it's vital, isn't it, that we get the word out into the world. Not just here on Sundays, but during the week in our small groups, in our families, among our friends and neighbours. It's vital that we get the word out. Let's not lose confidence in the word of God because nothing else will bring in the kingdom of God. It's very easy, isn't it, to lose confidence in the word, to think that sort of preaching and uh, small group studies and reading the Bible with someone doesn't do very much. It's ineffective in growing the kingdom. Besides, we don't always see the results and we might be tempted even to water down the word, the gospel, to rely on quick fixes or techniques and many churches have gone down that track. But Jesus himself tells us it's the patient, consistent scattering of the word that brings the kingdom in. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the kingdom comes by hearing the word. Scan the text from verse 13. If you've got your Bible there, see how often the word hear comes up. It comes up eight times in those first six verses from verse 13. When the disciples come to Jesus and ask him why he talks in parables, he tells them how people come to hear and understand the word. And he tells them from God's perspective and from a human perspective. From God's perspective, Jesus says it's a gift. It's been given to you. Look at verse 11. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. It's a gift. If I know the king, if I recognize the kingdom of God, it's because that insight has been given to me. It's a gift. And we know, of course, that's the Holy Spirit's work. From a human perspective, though, the truth must penetrate the heart. The reason people don't see the kingdom, the reason they don't recognise Jesus as king, the reason they, don't, they, they hear but don't hear and see but don't see, look at verse 15. It's there in verse 15. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. They have a heart problem, don't they? They have a calloused, hardened heart and they don't want to hear it or see it. 
See, the kingdom of God comes when the truth penetrates the heart like seed penetrates the soil. Think about your heart for a minute. If you're not a Christian and you're, and, and you're not able to give yourself to the Christian faith or to Jesus, or if you're a Christian and you're actually struggling, confused, and you're not actually growing or unhappy in it, it may be that you're hoping and expecting the kingdom of God to be like Alexander the Great's kingdom. See, if Alexander the Great had come to town, there'd only be two types of people. Subjects of Alexander people who give their allegiance to him, or dead people. Is that how you think Christ's kingdom should be? See, if you're thinking, why doesn't Jesus fix my problem? Why doesn't he do more miracles? Why, why is there so much evil? Why am I suffering? You're wanting Jesus to be like Alexander the Great, aren't you? That's how worldly kingdoms come. But Jesus says, my kingdom comes gently, like a seed. First, it looks so weak and vulnerable, doesn't it? But it's powerful because it can change your life. And it can fill your life with meaning and great hope and joy. See, the kingdom starts with a message. A message about a king who comes from heaven and wins by being tortured and killed. And because he was killed, he can come into your life and transform your life. And he says to his followers, this is what he says to his followers, you will find happiness, you will find yourself by losing yourself. The way to greatness is to give up power and serve. The way to be rich is to give up your money. To really grow and be transformed to be like Jesus will mean suffering and sacrifice and trials. That's what he tells his followers. What a ridiculous message, you think. Is that going to change the world? Yes, it is. In fact, it has changed the world. Christianity is the largest religion in the world today. A third of the population, roughly, are Christians. So don't push it out. Let it sink in. So let me ask you, is your heart hearing the word of God? Because the kingdom of God comes by hearing the word of God. It's like throwing some seed into a field. At first, it seems like nothing. The birds eat some of it, the weeds choke some of it, and yet it has power to transform that field, doesn't it? With a blaze of new life. Come back in a few months and see. See, the message of the kingdom has already achieved so much, looking back over 2,000 years. It started with just 12 disciples. And now, 2,000 years later, it's 30% of the world's population. Two billion people say they're Christians. And it will ultimately cover the whole world. That's the power of the word of God. And the point is, is your heart receptive? Are you hearing the message of the kingdom? If you're struggling, it's because our heart's we're struggling because our hearts are not receptive. You're thinking in worldly ways. You're not actually hearing the word. You're not allowing it to penetrate. You're not allowing it, really applying it to your life. And that's why it's so important for us to hear it and to rehear it and to take it in and to study it in our growth groups and to ponder it and think about it. We need the word to penetrate our hearts, don't we? Like seed must penetrate the ground if we're to be transformed. The kingdom comes into your life and into the world by the hearing of the word. And that leads me to the third point then. So be careful how you hear. And Jesus, in his explanation of the parable in verse 18, wants us to test our hearts. 
Look what he says there in verses 18 to 23. There are four different kinds of soil. Some fell on the path, some fell on stony ground, some seed fell among the thorns, some fell in good ground. Now this is not describing four different types of people. Hear me well here. There's nothing fixed about this. These are four ways we can all hear the word and we can fit into any one of those categories at different times. These are different ways in which we respond to the message of the kingdom. So let's always be careful how we listen to the word of God. Firstly, we must be careful, be aware of listening with a hard heart. It's like seed falling on that well-trodden path. It never penetrates the surface. It never germinates. And the birds take it away. Listen to Jesus' explanation in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is seed sown along the path. See, it's like hearing the word intellectually only. The message may be interesting, but it never really reaches you. It doesn't get to you. It's all just theory. And it's gone before we have our coffee after the meeting. And that's why we encourage you to talk about the... We have a Q&A, but we want you to talk about the message, develop the art of spiritual conversation after the service over a cuppa in our growth groups. We want the word there we hear to penetrate us and to affect us and to change us. We need to come under the power of the word. So it's not just ideas and theories, but it becomes a personal discovery and it dawns on you and you feel like it's waking you up. You see things about yourself that you've never seen before and you say, this is talking about me. I need this. Does that happen to you? Does that happen to you when you hear the word? If not, it's not penetrating. It's just intellectual. You're listening to God with a hard heart. Secondly, beware of listening to God with a shallow heart, only listening emotionally. Listen to Jesus in verses 20 and 21. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Uh, that's the seed that falls on the stony ground, says Jesus. The ground looks good on the surface, but underneath it's quite rocky. And the, the, the seed sort of hits the surface soil and the growth springs up. But as soon as the sun comes out, it sort of withers and dies, doesn't it? And there are lots of people who respond to the word like that. We can respond to it like that. We receive it with joy. But the net message never takes root. It's just surface emotional. It's, it's emotionalism, sentimentalism. Such a lovely message. It really touched me. But it's superficial. And as soon as the, the Christian life becomes a little hard, a battle, as soon as it begins to cost and there's some sort of suffering coming into it, well, what's the use of Christianity? They see Jesus as a service provider. He's not doing what they expect him to. He's not giving them an easy, fun-filled life. See, if your commitment to Jesus is only emotional, it won't last. When the hard times come, it will shrivel and die because your faith isn't deeply grounded in reality, in the truth. Beware of having a shallow heart. But just as dangerous is listening to God with a divided heart. Listen to Jesus in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So it's seed that falls among the weeds. 
and they choke the life out of the good plants. The word grows, but so do the weeds. And there's competition for light and energy and water. What's going to win, the word or the world? You've got the word in your heart, you've got the world in your heart. Which one is going to win in your life? It's a divided heart. And that is a potential problem for all of us, isn't it? We have so many good things. We have so many options. See, we can make a commitment to Christ. We know that he's our saviour and our only real hope. But we have so many other things in our lives. And these other things are competing with Christ, aren't they, often? And we can develop divided loyalties. We love Christ, but we also love our freedom and our pleasures and our money and our sport and our family. And before you realise it, the world has come into your life. Who's going to win, the word or the world? How does it look if the world is winning? It's there in verse 22. The worries of this life is choking your faith. The deceitfulness of wealth is choking your faith. It's like a boa constrictor. It chokes the spiritual life out of you. Christ is Lord, but so is work and good times and my life. And you're in two minds and you're a bit stuck and you feel miserable and guilty and there's no fruit in your life. Nobody's life around you is being changed through you and through your witness because it's mixed and your children are drifting because they're confused about your divided life. Don't let the world choke the life out of you. Resist the temptation to have those divided loyalties. Put Christ first. Seek first his kingdom. In the church that I pastored in Kingston in Tasmania, there was a young man, a medical student, who came to me and told me that he was really struggling with God's will for his life. And he uh, thought he should... Uh, Perhaps go into, should he continue with medicine or go into ministry? Because he, he thought, liked the idea of serving the Lord in South America. And he told me that someone had given him some advice, which I thought was very good advice. He said this, if you can, uh, this man said to him, if you can give up medicine, carry on with it. But if you can't give up medicine, you ought to get out of it. That's good advice, isn't it? See, if medicine has got you, if this is the thing that matters most to you, it's like a boa constrictor. It's choking you. If you can't give it up, you ought to give it up. But if you can give it up, you're probably safe to continue. Isn't that how Jesus dealt with that rich young ruler? Remember that story? He came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Kept all the commandments as best as I could. And Jesus said to him, Well, go and sell all you have and follow me. Why does he say that? Because the man was greedy and covetous. He served money before God. He thinks he's got money, but money's got him. And it's choking the life out of him. Until he faces up to that, he can't come to Jesus, can he? Is Christ first in your life? Christ is Lord. How does that show? Don't have a divided heart. So what kind of heart do you have for the word of God, for the message of the kingdom? A hard heart, you hear it, but it never sinks in and the devil snatches it away. It's gone and you never think about it again. A shallow heart, receiving the word with joy, singing about it, talking about it, but never really applying it seriously to your life and allowing it to change you. A divided heart, allowing the world to crowd in and choke the word out. Or are you good soil? Are you careful to receive this word so that it saves your soul? Listen to verse 22, Jesus. 
But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. This is a wonderful message of the new covenant, isn't it? Promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The new covenant that Jesus has brought in. What was the promise of the new covenant? You remember? God says, I'll take away that stony heart of unbelief and I'll put a heart of flesh in you. I'll give you my spirit. So whatever response you've made to the word of God up till now, know this, Jesus can change your heart. And that word you've been resisting, that word that you've been ignoring, that word that's been choked out, Jesus can change your heart so that you receive it and it bears fruit in your life. Jesus can do that. Just ask him. Ask him to give you a receptive heart. So let me finish. Expect the word to do God's kingdom-building work in the world. Jesus says in verse 23, the word will yield 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. They are spectacular results, aren't they? Yes, there's much failure. Jesus is upfront about that, isn't he? It's not easy being a messenger of, a kingdom, of the kingdom in a Christ-rejecting world. And when the word goes out, there'll always be a range of responses. Sometimes it'll come to nothing. Sometimes it'll produce results. But then it all dies off and falls away. It happens in every ministry. We're up against the hardness of human hearts. We're up against the powers of darkness. We're up against the enticements of the world. There's a lot out there that's against the kingdom. And it's easy to become discouraged. But we mustn't allow it to drive us to despair, but it rather should drive us to God because God promises there will be a harvest. In fact, in the midst of all the opposition and failure, there will be a bumper harvest. Look at the fruit there's already been. In over 2,000 years of Christian history, as Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And so it is today, all over the world even in wealthy, self-sufficient Australia. Even here in Adelaide, even through the Trinity Network, even through the work here at Trinity Mount Barker over the years, the word goes out and the kingdom comes. Rudyard Kipling in his poem If said this, If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop to build them up with worn-out tools. You'll be a man, my son. That's the way to be a Christian, isn't it? In a Christ-rejecting world, we persevere in sowing the seed of the word. We may not see the results immediately. We may see the word rejected. The work may seem a failure, but there will be a harvest. History has already shown it and proved it. So don't give up. Sow the seed. Expect the word to do its wonderful kingdom-building work. God is faithful and he will do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kingdom in this world. You established it by your word and set your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, over it as its king. And now, 2,000 years after it's been established, we can clearly see how it has grown in amazing ways across this world. Lord, remind us often to seek first the kingdom, knowing that only your kingdom will last into eternity. Everything else will turn to dust. 
And give us boldness to speak your word and confidence that when we do, your kingdom will certainly come to your praise and glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.